California Senator Kamala Harris is Vice President Joe Biden's running mate and will likely debate Vice President Mike Pence this fall. Serena Williams is the goat at tennis and turns out at multitasking. And we're talking with Slate's Joel Anderson about what this fall could look like with the college football season up in the air. The date, August 12th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Okay, Hayes, did you see what Stevie Nicks posted on uh, Facebook on Tuesday? I actually did not. I cannot say that I follow Stevie Nicks on Facebook, so so (laughs) I'm curious. I somehow still have Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, so she posted that she's worried about the unknown long-term effects of the virus. She wrote, if I get it, I will probably never sing again. Put me on a ventilator and I will be hoarse for the rest of my life. I don't have much time. I am 72 years old. This virus can kill you. It can kill me. Kill my chances of pulling on those boots and hitting the road. I mean, that's that was just it really bummed me out, to be honest. <laughs> right? Oh, Fleetwood sads. Yeah, sad. And it's just one of these things where it's like, okay, we know that we're not doing concerts right now and stuff like that, but it's really... But someday... It, Exactly. Like it makes you think like, oh boy, yeah, let's make sure all of our singers can sing so we can go to concerts and listen to them. Oh man, what? Oh, that'd be so tragic. It's just an entire generation of Julie's Andrew who just, I, I get sad every time I remember the fact that she can no longer sing after having throat surgery. Mm. Starting the day off uh, Yeah, great. I'm sorry to bum you out. <laughs> I'm bummed out too. <laughs> okay, time for today's top stories, which surely will bum no one out. Here's what you need to know. As you all might have heard by now, former Vice President Joe Biden has chosen his running mate. His name will appear on ballots this fall alongside Senator Kamala Harris of California. First of all, is the answer yes? The answer is absolutely yes, Joe, and I am ready to work. I am ready to do this with you, for you. I, I just, I'm just deeply honored, and I'm very excited. As the daughter of immigrants from Jamaica and India, Harris will be the first woman of color to be on a major party's ticket, as well as the first Asian American and the first South Asian American of any gender. She's also the first African American to be a major party's vice presidential pick. Biden promised during the presidential primaries that he'd choose a woman as his running mate, prompting months of speculation on just who he'd tap. Harris beat out 10 other potential candidates that Biden interviewed in the last week and a half, according to the Wall Street Journal. In the end, she won out, according to campaign officials, because of her and Biden's connection, her grasp of policy, and her willingness to challenge President Trump. The pick wasn't without controversy, though, especially from more progressive Democrats and leftists. Harris's previous tough-on-crime stances, especially for enforcing marijuana laws as a prosecutor and as California's attorney general, have definitely made her some enemies. But the Biden camp is clearly hoping that her political skill and background will help turn out voters in November. And as a quick aside, our team here at BuzzFeed News was ready for whoever Biden chose and pulled together a bunch of pre-written stories to publish if it was, say, Susan Rice or Elizabeth Warren. Now they're offering the chance to read what might have been. BuzzFeed News members will be getting access to these pre-writes in a new newsletter starting up soon. If you're interested in basically living through an alternate timeline, go to support.buzzfeednews.com to sign up for a membership. Meanwhile, Yesterday was yet another primary election, and two results really stand out. First, 
The final member of the group of freshman progressive Democratic congresswomen known as the Squad won her primary race. Representative Ilhan Omar in Minnesota was in a tighter race than a lot of people expected, with her opponent raking in big bucks from outside groups. Votes are still being counted, but she seems on track for a lopsided victory. Jumping down to Georgia, though, Congress looks like it's probably going to be getting its first QAnon adherent next January. Marjorie Taylor Greene won her primary in Georgia's 14th congressional district. It's a district that leans heavily Republican, so her victory in November is all but guaranteed. And when I say she's an adherent, she really means it. She really believes, it seems like, in Q. This is her talking about the conspiracy in a half-hour YouTube video from 2017. There's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cable of Satan-worshipping pedophiles out. And I think we have the president to do it. And so I'm very excited about that. Republican leadership has tried to distance themselves from Green over the last few months after Politico first reported that she'd made numerous anti-Muslim comments in other videos. But this morning, President Trump tweeted out his full support for her, calling her a future Republican star and writing, quote, Marjorie is strong on everything and never gives up a real winner, all caps. Yeah, I, I think we're definitely getting to the point where everyone's hearing what QAnon is. It's it's entering our politics. It's here. It's hitting saturation. It's not great. I don't I it's one of those things where like I'm glad more people know about it so more people can be aware of it and be like, oh, that's actually bonker balls. But it's also hitting saturation to the point that's like, oh, too many people, too many people are all on board with this at this point. Yep. And then uh, just back to Kamala. I mean, I think the Democratic Party is, you know, whether Biden and Kamala are lean to centrist for the leftists uh, or not, you know, what I've been seeing online, you know, people are like, let's go forth. We have 83 days. It's this or Trump. This is where, what we're doing. So, I mean, it, it is it is exciting because I think this was, yesterday was the first time that I've seen some some energy, you know. Mm -hmm. I definitely agree. I saw that uh, the campaign raked in millions of dollars right after announcing that Kamala was the uh, vice presidential nominee. And so I, I think that they made the right choice in terms of energizing like the majority of the party. Uh, I definitely a lot of the discourse hashtag the discourse was, uh, oh, great, we have a former top cop who's going to be the vice president when we're talking about wanting to defund the police versus people who were like, oh, great, this is actually awesome. We have a black woman, a black woman who is also of South Asian descent, who is going to be the vice presidential nominee. This is huge. So, uh, we'll see what it comes down to in November, but uh, Twitter is bad. Close Twitter. T Twitter is a place. <laughs> <laughs> Twitter is a place. All right, Casey, you're up. What's going on out there? Well, first up, prosecutors in the Eastern District of New York filed charges against three people who allegedly tried to bribe and threaten R. Kelly's accusers. Kelly was most recently arrested by federal authorities in 2019, who accused him of abusing women and girls for nearly two decades. The charges against the R&B singer included kidnapping, forced labor, and sending child pornography across state lines. Now, federal prosecutors say that Richard Arline Jr., Michael Williams, and Kelly's former manager, Donald Russell, tried to keep Kelly's accusers from cooperating in the case against him. According to the charges, Arline was caught on an FBI wiretap discussing a plan to offer a half million dollars to one of the victims in exchange for her silence. 
among the other accusations, bombarding victims with mail, text messages, emails, phone calls, and other online harassment, intimidating their family members, and threatening to release sexually explicit pictures and videos of the victims. And one defendant allegedly searched online for things like the detonation properties of fertilizer and diesel fuel, witness intimidation and witness tampering, and countries that do not have extradition with the United States. And next up, we know that Serena Williams is an all-around legend, but on her return to the tennis court yesterday, she proved she's also an incredible multitasker. Williams was playing at the Top Seed Open in Kentucky against Bernarda Pera in her first match since the pandemic began earlier this year. But even as she was competing, she said afterwards she couldn't help but play mom too. See, her husband, Alexis Ohanian, and their daughter, Olympia, were the only ones in the stands because of COVID-19 precautions. And at one point during the match, Olympia caught Serena's attention. Oh my gosh, is she chewing? Mash, mash, mash the air, like make sure you chew. And then I'm thinking, okay, Serena, stop looking over there. So <laughs> I didn't look over there, but I kind of flashed my husband a look like, make sure she's chewing her grapes because <laughs> she shouldn't be popping while she's eating grapes. <laughs> Um, that's the new mom in me, you know, and it's uh, it's good. I, it was good to see her, even briefly. Olympia was fine. The grapes were chewed. And despite that worry, Williams said that the atmosphere of the match was really chill. Serena won her match against Para, which she attributed to being, quote, calm for once in my career. <laughs> I... I oh I love her so much sometimes. I yes. love that she's in the middle of like winning a professional tennis match at the same time she's like, Is that my baby? Is yeah. that my baby coughing? Yeah. I know when she was like, I know, I know my baby's cough. <laughs> and just like when she's just like, You should you, you need to chew grapes. <laughs> Lessons for us all, really. <laughs> Okay, when we come back, we've got Slate's Joel Anderson with us talking about the college football season that may or may not be starting soon. Stay right there. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Look through your children's eyes to see the true magic of a forest. It's a storybook world for them. You look and see a tree. They see the wrinkled face of a wizard with arms outstretched to the sky. They see treasure and pebbles. They see a windy path that could lead to adventure. And they see you, their fearless guide through this fascinating world. Find a forest near you and start exploring at discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Zoe Deschanel and I'm so excited to be joined by my friends and castmates, Hannah Simone and Lamorne Morris, to recap our hit television series, New Girl. Join us every Monday on the Welcome to Our Show podcast, where we'll share behind the scenes stories of your favorite New Girl episodes, reveal the truth behind the legendary game True American, and discuss how the show got made with the writers, guest stars, and directors who made the show so special. Fans have been begging us to do a New Girl recap for years, and we finally made a podcast where we answer all your burning questions like, is there really a bear in every episode of New Girl? 
Plus, each week you'll hear hilarious stories like this. At the end when he says, you got some Schmidt on your face, I feel like I pitched that joke. I believe that. Whoa. I feel like I did. I'm not a thousand percent. I want to say that was, I, I, I tossed that one out. Listen to the Welcome to Our Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. In the before times, college students would be preparing to go back to campus and college football fans would be making predictions about who would be national champion this year. Instead, thanks to the pandemic, they're making predictions about whether there will be a college football season at all. We're joined by Joel Anderson. He's a staff writer at Slate and the host for season three of the podcast, Slow Burn. Previously, he worked as a reporter on sports, culture, and politics for ESPN and BuzzFeed News, which makes him the perfect person to explain what's going on. Good afternoon, Joel. Hey, thanks for having me, Hayes. So, Joel, you covered college football for a while. You were once the fastest 12-year-old in Texas. As Ten. An Ten-year-old. Ten-year-old. Fastest ten-year-old in Texas. My bad. So, as an athlete, would you be comfortable playing college ball today? No. Well, there's a couple of pieces of that. One, there's so much that we don't know, right? Um, you know, they're still trying to figure out just in the last day or two since the Big Ten, you know, one of the five major college football conferences decided that it was going to postpone its season until the spring. They've been talking to medical experts who have talked about this link to myocarditis, a heart condition that some people have gotten as a result of having a COVID-19 infection. And like, that's really terrifying. I mean, you know, we don't know, like we already don't know a lot about short-term complications with the disease. But then when you think about the long-term implications of getting something like that, no, I absolutely would not want to. And then the other piece of it is that nobody, not, like not even at a national or federal government level, all, all the way down, have we seen really anybody show that they know exactly what to do or how, or how to pull this off? Like to pull off the sort of protocols, the sort of system that would make sure that we were protected. That like really at this point, like maybe the NBA, the WNBA, a few organizations that are able to take all of their players, bubble them in one place and, you know, tightly control entry and exits and everything else like they're able to they've been able to keep infections low but i mean everybody else i mean it's just kind of a free-for-all and i mean there's no they they haven't shown that they can keep these players safe and like why would i want to sign up for something like that now if i had to play i would play but if if i could somehow opt out i probably would choose that so before this last week, there was talk about reducing team schedules and having the Power Five conferences, the Big Ten, Big 12, Pac-12, ACC, and SEC, only play games within their own conference. You mentioned that the Big Ten is changing? Yeah, no, right. Yeah, so, you know, in the last couple of days, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have decided that they're not going to play next season. Uh, just So as we're recording earlier this morning on uh, Wednesday, the SEC... And the Big 12 have, you know, said that they're going to attempt to play this year. And so, <laughs> you know, it, it, I mean, it's still an evolving story. Like, there's a lot more to go. Um, there have been other leagues, you know, lesser ones like the MAC, uh, the Sun Belt, who have chosen to go in different directions. But it's still an evolving situation. And right now, the SEC is saying, well, hey, we'll try to, you know, start the season in late September. But... I mean, who's to say what will happen after a couple of weeks of them going through full contact practices? I mean, we don't know what will happen as a result of that. But right now, the plan is for at least two to three leagues to continue trying to play this year. 
All right, Nebraska's in the Big Ten, and their coach, Scott Frost, has said that he's considering options for having his team find an opportunity to play. What would that even look like, do you think? I mean, that's <laughs> that's pretty unrealistic. That That's going to be really difficult because there's a lot of financial implications to Nebraska if they don't play, but also if they try to separate themselves from the Big Ten. I mean, the Big Ten is probably you know one of the two wealthier conferences in the in the country and if nebraska says we're going to run afoul of our membership and try to go go this alone well then the big 10 could theoretically say well you know what if you want to do this alone go forth and go on your way right and that would be really difficult like, like let's just say they get through this year and then like next fall we're back in this situation not being in the big 10 would be a huge financial hit for nebraska as well so um i don't think you're going to see nebraska go rogue and you know be like a you know a, a traveling band uh, uh, looking for football games all over the country i, I don't think that's going to happen <laughs> but uh i I, and I couldn't even tell you what it would look like because it's sort of absurd um all these other schools are going to be playing within their own conferences and uh, theoretically trying to link up for postseason play later. Um, right now, Nebraska is just kind of out there on their own. And I think that, you know, there are huge financial implications for Nebraska if they don't play this year. I mean, the, the coach Scott Frost, as you mentioned, said they could lose up to $100 million this year, right, in revenue. That's a big hit, but it's just it's just not very realistic. So over the weekend, we saw a pretty amazing statement put out under the hashtag we want to play from the players mm. of the Power Five Conference. What were they asking for? Well, I mean, they were asking for a lot of things. Um, I mean, basically, they're saying that they want to play, but they want to play within a certain set of conditions. They want some sort of guarantees that players that don't want to play, that they'll be able to opt out and do so without penalty of losing their scholarship or position on that spot on the roster. They would like to have some sort of standardized protocol because, I mean, that's one of the things that has come up over and over again in talking with players and in talking with you know coaches and other conference executives that there's no you know, system for ensuring that all these, all these schools are going through the same sort of protocols and have the same sort of testing standards across the country and even throughout their own conference. And so, you know, one school like Stanford, they're doing very well. Like they have a very rigorous testing system. They have a lot of money to pull this sort of testing system off. Their players are largely safe. But if Stanford plays another school that doesn't have those means or doesn't have a lot of money, like let's just say Washington State, well, then those players are at risk, right? Your, your, your protocols and your standards are only as strong as the weakest link in the chain. So they want to see that there's some sort of standardization around that. Uh, and then they want the ability to be able to organize, which is, you know, sort of a new thing here that, you know, the players are realizing that, you know, this money doesn't come without them, that they have to be out there for a lot of these institutions to make money. And they're realizing their financial value in real time. And they're saying, well, hey, maybe we should have some conversations about whether or not we get a cut of this. Uh, they probably won't be able to figure that out if they've been trying to prevent college athletes from getting paid for over 100 years, right? So um, that's, that, that's something that will probably be tabled, but um, who's to say? So what do you think? Do we see an actual union, a college players association anytime soon? Um, soon is a funny word, right? I mean, I think that we, I think that we may see that within the span of a year, possibly. Cause I mean, it's really difficult to stop these players from organizing now. Like, you know, back in the day, the ancient times when I, you know, I was a college football athlete, you may not even know guys on the other side of town, right? So it would be really difficult, but now these guys have nothing but time. They've got text groups, they've got zoom and they're hearing from other people. Hey, 
what are you guys doing to stay safe? What are you guys doing to stay safe? And they're coming together and they realize they've got a lot of common interest. So I would imagine that, you know, within a year, maybe a couple of years that there may be, maybe not exactly some sort of formal organization, but something close to that where they can start talking about their interest and like presenting a plan to these conferences and these institutions about, you know, what, what they could do to be better covered and get a little piece of that revenue that's uh, out there. So speaking of the revenue, say the college football season is canceled or postponed entirely. You mentioned mm-hmm. how much Nebraska alone could lose. How much money are we talking about colleges losing out on in total, though? Oh, my God. I mean, that's a, that's sort of an unfathomable number, right? Um, I mean, we're, you know, we're, t- we're, we're touching into billions because now we're talking about, you know, TV contracts. I mean, so much moves, you know, so many, you know, local economies depend on these fall Saturdays, which is why you're seeing schools like the SEC, the big, you know, schools in the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC, schools that are in, you know, small rural areas that depend really heavily on, you know, the, the tourism money that comes in from when, you know, alums come back to watch games on Saturdays or whatever. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, touching over a billion dollars, um, certainly, that is at stake. So the pressure for colleges to actually have the season go on is getting pretty intense. The vice president tweeted about it. President Trump went on a sports call-in show to say the season should go on. And former football coach Lou Holtz compared the players to soldiers on D-Day. I think that we shut everything down for six months. I'm going crazy about being quarantined. I think other people are tired of, let's move on with our life. When they stormed Normandy, they knew that there were going to be casualties. There's going to be risk. So why do you think this is such a divisive issue? Um, one, I believe that a lot of people would like to play because they want us to pretend as if things are normal right now. And that if you turn on TV in October and there are football games going on, it can give the appearance that things are sort of getting back to normal and that maybe things are not quite as bad, right? And so you mentioned the vice president, the president, and Lou Holtz. And Lou Holtz made those remarks on Fox. Well, I mean, they all have a political party in common, right? They've got some political interest in pretending that things are going well. I also think that there are some racial implications here as well. I mean, essentially, we're talking about an undercompensated labor force being pushed to play amid a pandemic that is having a disproportionate impact on black people. And, you know, a majority of black players have not really had a voice in these conversations until now, which is why they had to start organizing via group text and Zoom. So, you know, with all that money at stake and they realize (laughs) that people are really willing to put them out there in the middle of this and put not only themselves at risk, but the people close to them, family members, friends, um, people within their own communities. And, you know, meanwhile, you've got, you know, mostly white, wealthy Republicans saying, hey, we need you out there to make this money for us. That to me has been one of the things that have been sort of undercovered uh, in this, the, the, the racial implications, because you don't see a lot of um, black officials or executives on one side saying we need to play without any protections, just get out there. No, there, there are a lot of, um, you know, off ramps along the way to that there. So yeah, I, you know, it's just tough to say where we're going to go with this from here on out. But I mean, I, I think that of course it was going to be divided because America is divided on our response to coronavirus and how serious it is. And so of course it's going to be reflected in college football. So what do you think then? Uh, when slash if this is all over, eventually, who knows when, do you think we're going to wind up rethinking how we as a society treat college athletes or do you think it'll be more of the same? I think there'll be, I think it'll be sort of in between that people may not rethink how we treat college athletes, but college athletes have rethought how they should be treated and their role within the game. And it's going to be hard to put that back in the box now, right? Um, they know that 
you know, so much money, so much, so much of the economy depends on their own labor that they're not necessarily getting a proper share of. So I think that is going to be one of the biggest changes going forward. We, I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know if they'll actually be getting cut checks or whatever, but it's going to be hard to cut them out of the conversation going forward for sure. Well, Joel, thank you so much for taking the time today and bring this all down for us. And I guess we'll see a few months from now whether we'll be watching college football on Saturdays or not. Yeah, I mean, look, shoot, man, I, I love football. I would love to see football, but uh, I mean, <laughs> I also want to go hug my parents. Yeah, I, I think I think we'll we'll figure out something else out to do. All right, Joel, thank you so much. All right, thanks, appreciate it. Okay, we have time for one more thing. And even though I really hate space because it's very overwhelming, I have to say that this is really cool. So NASA scientists say they've discovered a new ocean of salty water in our solar system. It's on a dwarf planet named Ceres that hangs out in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. It's not as big as Pluto, the only other dwarf planet most of us can name, but way bigger than most asteroids. A few years ago, a probe called Dawn reached Ceres and began sending back the data that led to this discovery. So this all sounds interesting, but we reached out to a few people way smarter than us to explain just what this all really means. What they told us is that the water is briny just like here in our oceans, but a different kind of salt. So our seawater has a ton of sodium chloride, which the magic school bus taught us is table salt. But the water there also has a bunch of carbonates made up from carbon dioxide. You see the same thing in soda lakes here on Earth, including Lake Searles in California. Those carbonates on Ceres mix with the salt to keep the water from freezing out there in space. Also, the ocean isn't on the surface, it's right underneath. The scientists with the Dawn Project knew there were a bunch of minerals in a place called the Akator Crater. But they realized there was for sure a whole ocean under there when they found a certain compound called hydrated sodium chloride. That stuff isn't stable on the surface, so they figured it had had to have recently come out from under the ground. Ceres is the smallest object that we found so far that can have liquid water, which could mean that there's way more of it out in the universe than we realized. Also, it's teaching us all kinds of new ways to figure out how we can use measurements of gravity to figure stuff out about the solar system. And Casey, I gotta say, I am... So glad you were willing to talk about this today because I was a little worried that your uh, over the overwhelmingness of space would keep you from wanting to. But I think it is just amazing. It's serious. It's right there. It's like literally next door in terms of like the scale of the universe. And it's a full salty ocean under the surface. Okay. I'm also really proud of myself for talking about this too, because I went in, you were like, Casey, I want to talk about space today. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. I can do this. But now I do have to tell you that after talking to you about this, I do want to hide under the table and close my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) Like I genuinely, it's still there. I know, but it's like, okay, so this is super cool. I know that's cool. And I'm someone who's very much like, uh, duh, there's other life forms out there, you guys. If we're just finding new things about space all the time, like I'm very, I've always been of that mindset. So that's why I'm overwhelmed because there is so much to discover and it's a lot. And so, yes, I want to rock back and forth with my eyes closed. Hayes. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I got, do you like Star Trek even, Casey? Or is that too overwhelming? I have not seen Star Trek, but my dad wasn't an episode (laughs) oh wow oh wow casey i really just i want to see you we got to binge star trek sometime we gotta like i want to experience you experiencing this show now and see how you feel watching (laughs) all of these alien life forms (laughs) i'm gonna cry what was that movie in space where she's by herself george clooney was there for some of it oh god uh gravity (laughs) yeah i didn't do well in that (laughs) (laughs) okay 
<laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thanks to Dawn Project members Julie Castillo-Roguez and Anton Ermakov for explaining all of that to us over email for today's show. And that's it for today. Join us tomorrow when we're having a conversation with Gael Ader, one of the co-hosts of the Teenager Therapy Podcast. And remember, space is big, but we know just as little about the depths of the ocean, so be afraid of that too. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Socks are the number one most requested item at homeless shelters. Underwear second and shirts are third. At Bombas, socks were first, made with comfortable details for everyday wearing. Then underwear and shirts, too, all designed to perfectly fit. At Bombas, every item you purchase means you're donating an essential clothing item to someone in need. One comfortable clothing item for you, one donated to someone in need. Bombas, comfort for all. Get 20% off your purchase at bombas.com slash comfy. You can watch the NFL playoffs like a fan, or you can prep like a scout if you listen to the award-winning Move the Sticks podcast. The show is hosted by me, Daniel Jeremiah, and my partner, Bucky Brooks. The two of us are bringing the knowledge from a career as NFL talent scouts to the podcast world so fans can watch and understand the nuances of the game like never before. We'll break down film from the professional and college game to get you ready for the Super Bowl, the draft, and kickoff next fall. Subscribe now and listen to the Move the Sticks podcast on the iHeartRadio app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Lethal listeners. Tig here. Last season on Lethal Lit, you might remember I came to Hollow Falls on a mission, clearing my Aunt Beth's name and making sure justice was finally served. But I hadn't counted on a rash of new murderers tearing apart the town. My mission put myself and my friends in danger. Though it wasn't all bad. I'm gonna be real with you, Tig. I like you. But now, all signs point to a new serial killer in Hollow Falls. If this game is just starting, you better believe I'm gonna win. I'm Tig Torres, and this is Lethal Lit. Catch up on season one of the hit murder mystery podcast, Lethal Lit, a Tig Torres mystery, out now. And then tune in for all new thrills in season two, dropping weekly starting February 9th. Subscribe now to never miss an episode. Listen to Lethal Lit on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.